We have Lena Grundhofer of Zeitgeist here. Lena, thanks for joining. Thanks so much for having me. So, uh, you know, we've spoken before, but for people not familiar, can you tell us a little bit about Zeitgeist? Uh, you do so much incredible work in Web3 and marketing, uh, emerging technologies. Uh, I'm already kind of beginning the explanation, but <laughs> if you could tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so Zeitgeist is a boutique strategy agency based out of New York City. We're a 10-person team, and although we are lean, we are we pack a big, pretty big punch. Um, the sectors we work in are gaming as well as entertainment, and we've had the privilege of working with some of the, the industry's biggest and best brands, including Game 7, NFL Rivals by Mythical Games, um, Creatures, the first NFT project on Solana, various NFT projects, as well as recently Dead Mouse's Pixel Inks. So. Oh, I didn't know the Dead Mouse one. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, NFT, an NF, NFL rivals, I should say. That's out in the wild now, right? So how does that feel? Honestly, it's super rewarding to just see all the hard work the teams across the board have put into it and then see it out in the wild, like you said. Um, we help from a Web3 strategy perspective back in from August to December. And it was a really amazing um, opportunity where we got to work alongside some of Mythical Games um, high execs to, as well as um, NFL and so forth. So to be able to see the game out in the wild, to play it, to see 3,100 users leave reviews as of like two days ago, it may have increased since, um, it's been just a fantastic opportunity to see all the possibilities for Web3 gaming, for sure. So, so when Zeitgeist is involved in a high-profile project like that, what what's sort of your role? What are the kind of questions they ask? And what what goes into developing a strategy at that level? Yeah, so typically when clients work with us, they have an idea. They don't come to us with like a sheet of paper. They are typically looking for marketing support because they don't necessarily have that support in-house already. So myself and my co-founder and CEO of Victoria work alongside the teams and really just have this high-touch boutique approach where we work with them on a day-to-day -day basis with the help of our global team and really execute across the board. So some of our core offerings include fractional CMO support, social media management, um, influencer management, media and PR relations, um, experiential and events. We threw a party for NFT NYC um, under Samurai Saga um, and Wu-Tang performed. And we also support with go-to-market strategies, so. Oh, that's awesome. And Wu-Tang performed, you said? Yeah, we had a few members perform and it was a really cool um, NFT launch for you know, the project itself, so. How was NFT NYC this year versus last year? Because I, I, it seems like it, it, you know, every year it has a slightly different sentiment, right? Yeah, so, I mean, this is my third NFT NYC. The first time I went, I was very new to working in this space, not just as a consumer, which I participated in for about a year then. Um, last year was massive. I mean, like, Ape Fest with um, Snoop Dogg, you had um, the Mythical Games event with NFL Rivals launch and Chainsmokers. You had various blue chip NFTs host massive parties. Um, I would say this year in comparison was definitely on the quieter side, but on the ho hopeful side of it all, um, 
it actually drew a lot of the builders that still believe in it and aren't weren't necessarily in the industry for the cash grab. So for those that don't know, a cash grab is when people typically enter the space to make money. Um, and they're really just here because they see opportunity for a quick, you know, 10x or what and so forth. And you can do that as an investor, you can do it as a business. But realistically, um, in 2023, a lot of the true believers in decentralization and crypto and Web3 and NFTs are here to stay. So it's really just amazing to see that on the other side of the coin. Yeah, you're on the other side of the coin. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. In a sense, last year seemed like it was mega, mega hype, right? You had like Quentin Tarantino and every potentially high profile name there, like, like you're saying. Uh, and then you're saying this year was much more substantive in a sense, people who are really building the projects who sort of see the future of this technology. Um, so maybe a little more subdued, but a little more technical, I guess you could say more long vision conversations. Definitely. I mean, we had the privilege of speaking at the conference for the first time. And also I was in Times Square, which was really awesome. Congrats to see. on that, by the way. So cool. Thank you. Um, but to be honest, like, a lot of the satellite events or offsite events was where the real magic networking and business development happened. We were briefly on site and I would say because it was at the Javits Center and the ceilings are high and it's way grander of a space as it's the um, New York's premier conference center, it just made the, the crowd seem a lot smaller. Um, but that doesn't mean it was small to begin with. I believe there were like, like 10,000 participants forecasted, I think, across NFT NYC. But a lot of the true real networking happened offsite, and that's where we primarily played. So I know you were saying you were on some panels about sort of this convergence of AI and Web3. And something that strikes me as interesting, I'd love to get your input on it, is, is AI sort of stealing the thunder of the Web3 conversation? Because to me, they, they, they converge beautifully, but I feel like there's this kind of weird press narrative, almost like they're against each other or something like Web3 versus AI. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so it's interesting. I think about a few months ago, there is like this whole debate in with people in the industry on whether AI and Web3 fell under the same category. And then you had companies like McKinsey releasing reports saying AI is under the Web3 umbrella. And I think that kind of took a few people by by storm just because like, people were not expecting it. But the dis the differenti differentiating factor is um, AI obviously operates on um, LLMs, I believe large language models. And from that perspective, um, it's really just utilizing all the information and data that the internet has scrub scrubbed over the last, you know, last few decades and really just amplifying it to the best of the abil our ability. And Web3 on the other hand is more so based on user accessibility by um, individual ownership and decentralization and so forth. So from that perspective of things, I mean, I think Web3 has the potential to unlock all the possibilities on the data privacy sector of it. I mean, with AI and the rise of ChatGPT becoming a $30 billion expected enterprise, there's a lot of different considerations um, that truly just boil down to um, making sure everyone's data is safe, making sure enterprise data is safe, um, making sure the, the wrong keys don't get in, the right keys don't get into the wrong hands, um, and 
you know, making sure AI is used in a positive way, because what we're seeing right now is this new period of innovation. And, you know, some I've heard some people call it a fad, which I personally don't agree with. <laughs> the AI part or the Web3 the, part? The AI. I, really? <laughs> yeah. Like even after watching all of what's just happened? Yeah. Um, I, I think me. it was more so out of like they're learning about it, but they don't necessarily know wow. like its impact yet. Um, but it's truly not going anywhere and everything is becoming accessible at at the edge of our fingertips um, from globalization opportunities with new jobs to freelancing opportunities for like, you know, people just starting out in college or high school even um, to dating profiles to um, art, arts, the arts and so forth. So it's just impeccable all the different things it's unlocking, to be honest. So. No, I mean, it's funny. I, I am surprised to hear anyone would say it's a fad. I mean, to me, and, and I saw it in my own job, uh, you know, it's almost terrifying in a way how fast it's accelerating. I mean, I don't want to sound alarmist. I know some people are getting very alarmist. I think I'm an optimist on this technology. But when you look at the world just several months ago and what you're capable of doing now, it's a night and day difference. And we're just getting kicked off here. So it's not, <laughs> I don't think this is going away. Unless we choose to maybe eliminate the tech, I guess, right? Absolutely. And I mean, like, a lot of people are still learning as we go. And a lot of people that have entered the space are, you know, AI consumers, such as myself. I wouldn't call myself an expert because some people have dedicated their whole lives to this. But I do think it's at the forefront of my industry, which is obviously marketing. And sure, it's a buzzword right now. And a lot of VCs are gravitating towards that buzzword. But in my honest opinion, it's not going to slow down. It's only going to enhance everyone's technology. It's only going to help thought starters become easier. And the world is just becoming more seamless and so forth. So what are the tools that you've been using that, you know, as a marketer, uh, an AI marketer, not an AI marketer, but as a marketer using AI, is there anything that stands out, anything that you've been seeing? I mean, to be honest, like every day is different. There's not one tool I typically use outside of like chat GPT for just like high level. Okay. I need like just a thought starter to get like right. my wheels spinning. Um, but I came across Aomni recently, which is a research report tool that like you give it like a task and then it kind of just breaks down like, okay, how can you expedite this idea and break it down to a bunch of more digestible ideas? Um, there's that. And then there's also various platforms, obviously, that have just been useful for me to help my, some of my creative clients where they don't know what to do and to do to start a creative campaign. So we've been using um, platforms under like um, such as Midjourney and so forth. And there's like a massive umbrella of tools through like AI libraries that have like thousands of tools at this point. So all of that combined has been just like a great starting point. But for me specifically, I don't use it for my end all be all. I just use it as kind of just like the thing to help me get kick, kick off ideas off the ground and then expand upon them. So that's interesting what you're saying with uh, mid journey. I've been goofing around with that for a while now. What would a client or a project uh, need mid journey for specific? I mean, obviously, it can create any kind of image, but where, where are you finding those applications? So I would say that from a creative campaign perspective, right? Like when you have an a, a, 
not definite, but an indefinite idea of where you want a creative campaign to go, whether that's through social media or whether that's through, you know, an ad campaign or so forth. A lot of different industries have been utilizing tools to help um, advance their virtual production capabilities, to help advance, you know, their um, framing for films. Um, it, it's helped from just like creating basic like templates using um, graphic design tools like Canva and so forth. So there's a lot of possibilities that have been unlocked more recently, but I think we're just really just dipping our toes in the water. So, Right. And I guess like prototyping and things like that, you can kind of create hypothetical products very quickly. Um, one thing that's been blowing my mind are the, I can't think of the apps offhand, but these early uh sort of you can prompt a virtual world so you prompt a you know a concept and you get a whole 3d <laughs> environment you type in that you want a person walking by in trees and you're creating the whole thing out of that that's that's pretty stunning to me yeah no it's amazing all the possibilities that have that we can unlock i mean for me i'm constantly busy so i when i do have the time to dabble it's either really late at night after 10 p.m or like on the weekends and on the weekends i try to touch grass as we say in the industry because otherwise i just don't go outside so <laughs> <laughs> um there's a really great balance and my friends that have been able to work on the enterprise side of ai utilizing the teams that they already have or have built out teams they're already 10 steps ahead of the game so now, you know, obviously a lot of the Web3 stuff still has digital collectibles, NFTs and so forth. Um, how do you see the generative art side potentially altering that field? Do you see a saturation of, of just insane amounts of art? How are we going to define value in this new landscape? I mean, so the generative AI debate is tricky, right? So something I called out, I believe late last year when I released like 10 trends I'm going think are going to pan out in 2023. One of them was the gray area that um, lawyers are going to be basically compete against each other in because, you know, this is going to be, well, this is actually a very problematic no man zone that has yet to be really be um, investigated in thus far. And I mean, from what I understand, like Andy Warhol, like had a, a case that has gone on for the last few decades that was resolved in the U.S. public court. And it basically made trademark like this particular trademark, um, not a licensable um, asset. And so we're dealing with not only intellectual property rights issues, but also just privacy concerns. Um, I think it's really interesting to see, you know, um, companies, I forgot who it was, but Drake, for example, um, there was that ghost producer yeah, who yeah. had his song taken down, um, you know, last week, or maybe it was the week before. And then you have Grimes on the other hand say, hey, if you want to use my music and utilize um, some of the trap or utilize my voice, I will give you 50% royalty. So instead, <laughs> she's empowering creators to make music. And like even Peter Gabriel is teaming up with Stability AI to really to have um to give them to give uh i guess people who want to participate access to his songs to create videos and animations to compete for tickets and money so i think there's no reason to hinder and stop creatives and universities and so forth to begin with when it's already here and it's not going anywhere so now i know this is a sort of more of a 
legal question, but do you think this is just going to be legal craziness in the next coming years? Because I, I kind of imagine what you're saying, when you can take someone's voice, when you can take someone's music, remix it. I think you were mentioning we also you know, are seeing artwork that's obviously borrowing from many different artists. I mean, it just seems impossible to even begin to know how you dissect all this. Yeah, I mean, debates are raging about ethical AI. And right now, it's nowhere near ethical because, again, we're in this completely new era of technology that is utilizing every single piece of information that's being uploaded in real time and and pushing it out. So like even a few weeks ago, um, I think a few Samsung internal Samsung employees released um, some proprietary information. And then it was later discovered that ChatGPT repeated that proprietary information back to the public. And it's like, no one's wow. information or data is safe. And I think, you know, companies like Salesforce and Microsoft with what they are building are going to help us, you know, wind it back from that perspective. So. Yeah, that's a really powerful point. You're right, because so many people have jumped on and they're not aware that the systems are learning on the information they're putting in. So anything that's proprietary, any kind of patents, any kind of, uh, you know, secretive company documents could just be now a part of its <laughs> larger base. Um, yeah, that's, it's going to get really precarious and interesting, I guess, yeah. uh, you know, as a marketer, where do you begin? Like, like people who are not at all aware about this stuff, you and I kind of know a little bit, I think we've been goofing around with it, but what do you tell people when they're just saying, I want AI, I want web three, what's a good starting point for a company? What should they ask? Yeah. So, um, Historically, companies have come to us because, you know, a lot of the leaders, a lot of their leaders are at the forefront of technology and they believe, they truly believe in how, you know, AI and Web3 is going to enhance their already existent products. Um, so from that perspective of things, if you don't know anything about the space, it's never too late to learn. A lot of people are just starting now. A lot of people, majority of people have not even started, to be honest, um, unless, you know, they have a computer in front of them and are glued to the, their computer as much as I am. Um, <laughs> but from that perspective of things, I would say that it really just takes hunkering down, toying around with it, seeing all the different possibilities, trying new tools, falling on your face and getting back up again. And for me, like a lot of my learnings throughout my life have not only been from, you know, my personal experience, but just by talking to people. I mean, attending in IRL in real life events or attending virtual events and seeing like where the future of the workforce is going or figuring out how the AI and Web3 integrate with each other on LinkedIn panels or Twitter spaces. Like there's a lot of accessible conversations happening and they're completely free. You just have to download the right social uh, accounts. So what do you think of uh, also just like metaverse? Do you feel like, uh, you know, I feel like people again are kind of writing the obituary for the metaverse. Uh, to me, this is all this is converging again. And, and if anything, we're seeing, you know, Apple coming out with their new VR headset. So there's extraordinarily exciting things happening in this space. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like there was a drier period towards the end of the year after the whole FTX debacle and we saw um, blockchains like Solana, unfortunately, get hit and so forth. But like the communities are very much still well alive. I mean, the products 
um, through, you know, Sandbox or Axie Infinity have dwindled down, but that doesn't mean that's going to be the conditions that we see, you know, a few years from now during a bull run, let alone 10 years from now. I think the metaverse is, you know, typically it it's it's more of a grand grandiose idea, but at the end of the day, the products that are being built are happening behind closed doors and companies, the top um, gaming companies like Riot um, and esports leagues are entering the space very quickly. They're just, you know, building quietly. And then additionally, on the entertainment side, we're seeing um, various Netflix shows as well as movies enter the space, like you said, with Quentin Tarantino dropping his NFT collection. And that's just like a drop in the bucket, right? So right. when we attended Consensus this past week, I mean, we had the privilege of hearing um, one of the founders of Marvel Studios, who was the originator of the Marvel Universe and creating that and expanding it. And he was like, people right now are looking at me like they did 20 years ago and thinking I'm equally as crazy for being just as ambitious about this. But in all honesty, like, I'm just going to keep my head down and keep at it because, like, instinctually, I know this is going to work, aka Web3. So he's about to launch an NFT collection, and it's amazing to see what that will be because it's going to be auctioned off to the public. Um, but it's just incredible of all the possibilities and all the rooms for people across every different sector. So, so that's a great point, though, like talking about sort of believing in it right now as we're seeing heads down building, uh, where do you see NFTs moving in general? And and I think this has been kind of a big year. I actually have not had a chance to play with it much, but I know like Starbucks Odyssey is out now and I'm getting little notifications to begin playing with. I don't know if you've had a chance to play with it at all, but uh, where do you see, what is an NFT a year from now, two years from now, three? So, I mean, 2021, um, March of 2021, obviously, it really hit the masses with um, Dapper Labs and a lot of different NFTs going to market, including Bored Apes, um, historical NFTs prior to that, and so forth. And there were, the PFP rage was all the hype. And that, in my opinion, lasted about a year, maybe a year and a half um, before, obviously, you know, the whole Ukraine-Russia domino effect happened in March of last year. Um as we expand this, I mean, after talking to people of various backgrounds, ages, careers, and so forth, I think NFTs are just are increasingly being pointed in the direction of being a tech enhancer, but it's like not the end all be all. I mean, similar to smartphones, similar to, you know, even podcasts or um, streaming platforms, like this is just another thing and tool that brands are using and people are using to enhance their experiences. And from a trend perspective, I would say I see this truly elevating um, across the loyalty program sphere, across the digital identity sphere. Some are arguing that could be through soulbound tokens, others aren't. Um, additionally, we're also seeing this essentially on the IP for certain brands. I mean, I bought a pudgy penguin in the midst of a bear market and some of my friends are like, why did you spend a crazy amount on a PFP <laughs> right now. And I'm like, well, to be honest, like my background is in Solana. And after doing my first conference circuit of East Denver, Consensus, NFT NYC, and now Solana Breakpoint, I think it's safe to say that like, we can't think about it's an us versus them thing because that's unfortunately where a lot of the industry has mm. 
hurt each other. Um, and we have to start thinking as like one entire unit. So I'm trying to just really open my, think outside of my unconscious bias and really just become familiar with other ecosystems and blockchains that make sense for just where the, where the world is going. And it doesn't mean I'm not a Solana maxi because I do love Solana. Um, but I do think it's important to really understand holistically where the industry is headed. And that's why, you know, looking at ordinals is important. Understanding ETH is important. Um, looking at Cosmos and Sui and um, various other blockchains that are, you know, in a lot in pe people's mouths right now. So, yeah. Do you think all these different uh, protocols will stand the test of time? Do you think or do you think we're going to kind of consolidate at some point where we're just going to have a few? Or more. I mean, it's like natural selection, right? It's yeah. going to happen. I mean, the thing is, we've experienced a few from from my experience in working in the space for the last few years. I'm not I wouldn't say like I'm I'm a wizard by any means. Um, <laughs> I would but that kind of makes you a wizard because the true wizards never say they are. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say thank you. Um, I would say that the next bull market is going to definitely open up a lot of people's eyes and bring a lot new reach into the op into the ecosystems and space. So yes, there will be a lot of convergence, but I think there's also just a lot of cultural differences between even who like who Solana attracts versus who ETH attracts. And we're seeing that as like, you know, people who more I mean, for example, ETH on one side, like the average consumer, what, what I picked up on was like in the more millennial age bracket and they're way more comfortable and eclectic in their own skin and they understand the tech side of it. And then when we were at Breakpoint, everyone was wearing black. It was a lot more dev focused, but it was a, way more accessible because obviously um, the, the fees really created this like different gap of like opportunities for people to enter the space. So I think originally it's going there's going to be everyone, you know, separately revolving and um, I guess more so going into their unique groups, but eventually it it's at the end of the day, all the same, to be honest. So it's interesting you were mentioning um, sort of having a holistic view of, of these different protocols. Do you find most people are adopting that or do you really find that like there are the true Solana maxis, Solana to the death? ETH on the other side, you know, Bitcoin, Doge, not really Doge, but you know, all the Doge developers out there. But like, uh, is there, uh, are you seeing people kind of moving into their respective camps or are you starting to see this kind of way of thinking like, hey, we need to, you know, be able to collaborate and work together and, and find a way to build a bigger ecosystem than any one? I mean, to be honest, I think like, in the last like six to eight months, I mean, even like OpenSea, Blur, now Magic Eden have tried because they were competing with each other. They realized from like just a market share perspective, they had to diversify. And that opened up a lot of different opportunities and doors for the average consumer. But real realistically, like the each ecosystem is like its own, its own tribe within itself. And of course, we're going to always have the maxis and always have people that are and all be all fans, like just like sports um, and so forth. But it doesn't mean that is the absolute answer. And to, to answer your question, I don't think most people do think 
when I speak to most people, I think they stay within the parameters of what they know, which is like one or two blockchains. And I mean, a lot of ETH people look at ETH or they look at other layer twos or like that touch them like Polygon and so forth, or they touch or they look at Bitcoin. But when I was with some Bitcoin maxis in ETH Denver, they just like jokingly like laughed at me and were just like, oh yeah, Solano, like good luck. And I was like, thanks. Like <laughs> It's like a Bitcoin snobism. Exactly. But That's like so at funny. the end of the day, like I also went into the conference, like kind of like just like looking around being like, wow, this is like so different. People are wearing like funky, like one piece, like pajamas around the conference. But like at Bitcoin, no, at um, East Denver, oh, okay. but like from a cult and I come from fashion. So I notice these things. Um, but on the other side of the coin, like Solana Breakpoint, like it was a lot more athleisure, all black. And I think it just really speaks to the culture of like what is cool within the confines of each ecosystem. And ETH is a lot more, I think, experiential. They're a lot more eclectic in their um, campaigns. They really do try to try new ideas and so forth. And that may have even been why DGODs moved over besides a few other variables. So, so which, uh, which chain is the most stylish right now? I mean, stylish to whom? Like, are we talking <laughs> about true. like the NFT consumer, the tech consumer? I guess the developers, like when you're at the conferences, like who do you think has the best style right now? Is it the Solana people? They seem like they're pretty stylish. Style wise. You got Solana spaces, you got sort of the fidgetal thing going, you've got a certain, you know, a certain polish, right? I would say Solana has more convergence of Gen Zers and Millennials. On the other side, um, I would say Echo. ETH, <laughs> ETH is, I think, just people who are in ETH, they have more money to play with. And typically that means they are, you know, like 28 and above. So it's just interesting to say that. But from the dev perspective, like I would say from a scalability perspective, Solana has a, a massive and amazing community. Polygon is crushing it from a BD perspective, mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily know too much about it yet, to be honest, as it, it's just building behind closed doors. And then ETH, on the other hand, I mean, there's a lot of different protocols and tools that we saw firsthand at this conference, um, but didn't unfortunately have the time to stop by the booths. But it was really amazing to see all the infrastructure being made, whether it was decentralized social platforms or, or so forth. What about on the Bitcoin side? Are, are people optimistic that there are more possibilities for development on Bitcoin or is it more just the store of value? And that's kind of the main narrative still. I would say, I mean, from a third party consumer perspective, like with ordinals and where the NFT market is going, there's a new market cap being reached every day and it's growing exponentially. I think the like the big money is now playing there because obviously there's a lot more to win and there's also a lot more to lose. <laughs> Um, but with that being said, like, why would you play on a way smaller blockchain when you can when you have that accessibility at, at the forefront, you know? Um, but from a Bitcoin perspective, I mean, like, you know, you have your Bitcoin maxis, I think, um, ETH, uh, there's a conference happening. I'm blanking on the name right now, but in Miami soon for Bitcoin, um, or Bitcoin Miami. So it's interesting just to see how it's attracting different focus groups from that perspective. So 
So when you talk to people, are they feeling um, the heat at all in terms of, you know, the media has been very skeptical of crypto blockchain projects this year. I think we've definitely seen a difference this year versus last year. Uh, I think it's a great point we were talking about, you know, that the development is kind of the focus now. Um, what do you, how do you see when you speak to either clients, average people or developers, how are they impacted by this sentiment? Are they unfazed? Are they more cautious? What, what, what's the sentiment there? I think, I think from a industry perspective, people that are in the space at this point, believe in it. People that were in it for the cash grab and the money have left and they've kind yeah. of just gone off the radar to no surprise. Um, and then the consumers, from a consumer perspective, I have friends, you know, texting me or messaging me every day, just being like, hey, I want to enter the space, but I don't really know how to get involved. And I think they're just trying to find their entry point. But until, you know, the economy is at a better state again, um, I think that's when we're really going to see this entry point. And like, you know, meme coin season is happening through, you know, various tokens like Pepe um, gaining recognition more recently and so forth. And like for me, like Dogecoin was my entry point um, back in 2020. So really, I think that was your very first. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it was Doge. Yeah. <laughs> we love Doge in this household. Um, it is just likable, regardless of how ridiculous it is. Just likable for some reason. It is very likable. And funnily enough, there was there's this like Doge Lamborghini, like a Lamborghini with Doge faces all over it. And I saw it at East Denver and I also just saw it at Consensus this past weekend. And like people are literally dedicating their entire lives around like this character, like head to toe wearing it and like. <laughs> Maybe it's because they are a success story, um, but I think it's just really interesting because like now it's it's not only people's digital identity, but it's also their IRL identity as well. So, well, I would love to see you know something. I know you know Elon Musk always mentions it favorably uh, of being the most ironic uh, of the different uh, tokens out there. Um, mentioning Musk, I would love to get your thoughts on Blue Sky. Uh, Jack Dorsey's decentralized uh, sort of Twitter clone, if you will, or, or similar uh, social media project. What do you think of decentralized social media? Do you see potential in that? Oh, for sure. I think the trends are moving towards micro communities right now. And I mean, from a, um, from a, what am I thinking? Encrypt, what am I saying? Um, from an encrypted point of view, like, Telegram, Signal, obviously those are huge within the crypto communities, but Elon wanted to integrate that with Twitter DMs and Jack Dorsey obviously has Blue Sky, which I got access to actually last night. Oh, nice. I signed up for the waitlist and haven't gotten it. So <laughs> it's just been, I think you need a referral code to get on, but uh, I'll let you know once I, I mine open up. Yeah. Um, I would say that it's actually very similar to Twitter, but it's giving early clubhouse days where like you're interacting with various people of all different backgrounds and careers and who knows, they could be big, big in person, but like, it's just kind of just like a free for all and there's like no rules, but people are just kind of saying, tweeting and saying whatever they want. And someone like, I was, I've just been dabbling at it once a day um, since I downloaded it yesterday, just cause I know if I'm on it, I will get addicted and I don't have time for anything, but Someone was like, can I say this word on here? And then a bunch of people liked it and commented it. And it's just like interesting to compare this like political 
I don't know, thing that's been happening, especially with Twitter and other social platforms. So it seems like everyone's feedback so far is very, very positive, right? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it feels like the feed is what Instagram used to be, where it's not just calibrated based on like what you like and follow. It's just very random. And so my feed, I only probably follow like 10 people on it right now, but um, a lot of the content that's in my general feed are just like random people just spewing out thoughts and ideas and like people engaging. And it just kind of feels like, I don't know, like things are being thrown in your face in the same way TikTok it, um, is algorithm algorithmically um, created just because like it's based on your interest, but like it's it's updating in real time. So. so it's almost more rapid fire in a sense, right? Yes, correct. So this is something that I keep coming back to and I'm always curious about it. And it's sort of a threat to all social media. We're looking again at this AI thing, deep fakes, uh, generative AI, uh, the, the kind of language models that we're seeing that can produce posts. Um, how do you think networks like Blue Sky or Twitter or anyone for that matter, what do you think they need to do to protect themselves against um, fake accounts, misinformation? I mean, these are going to be huge topics we'll be discussing for many, many years to come, I'm sure. I'm asking you a very easy question here. <laughs> Just yeah. coming up with a solution on the cuff. To be honest, to start, I would be like, yes, test out everything test test out the waters jump in deep and like i said fall on your face but note be aware that the information that you input is going to be in their system forever and i don't mm. think a lot of consumers are aware of that um for example there's just like the possibilities like i mentioned with samsung and a few of their employees unfortunately having to get the boot after you know the proprietary information was released. Um, additionally, it's like once you have an original idea and it's in the ether, it is not yours anymore. And we right. are seeing this from an artist ownership perspective. We're seeing this um, from just like a data aggregator um, perspective and so forth. And I think it really comes down to just being mindful of what you input um, trying to, you know, take a stab at it at least for 15 minutes a day, even if you don't have time to take a stab at the tools, but learning about it. Um, I subscribe to Ben's Bytes, I believe, and that's been great for helping me just stay up to date with what's up and coming in the AI space. And really just like keeping your nose on um, the social channels to see like what's been working and what hasn't. Um, for example, this guy utilizing a platform called, I think, Do Not Pay, which is like your robot lawyer, allowed this guy to save like 217 bucks on his like monthly charges just by like canceling all these additional subscriptions he didn't need and so forth. And what he was going to utilize or what he's hoping to do with that information um, by this basic bot that he set up is try to save $10,000. And if you can save $10,000, that's a huge amount of money for like the average person um, to the point where you can go on a few vacations if you wanted, yeah. or you can like put down a loan to a house and depending on where you live. So um, there's a lot of really cool AI possibilities, but you just have to be hyper aware of what there is to lose as well. So I think that's a really great point. And I think that's always been kind of the social media thing. People put stuff out there and there's almost a sense that they forget that people are actually reading it and that it doesn't just get read. It gets permanently posted on the wall 
for all eternity, so to speak. Um, yep. You know, I saw you in a recent conversation. I thought this is this is kind of an interesting segue uh, discussing AI and some of these different tools. Um, what do you think is going to happen in terms of ownership of the content we produce, right? Because that's in, that line is blurring completely. Like it used to be you put out a tweet or, uh, you know, you're on Blue Sky and you at least own that. But if we're using uh, all these new tools to generate for us, uh, I don't know, how, how do we define, you know, if you're a university student and you write an essay and you use, say, ChatGPT, did you write the essay or how do we draw those lines? I mean, right now, different universities are explicitly writing the guidelines on how you can or can't use tools. So, for example, I have a friend getting her master's right now at a fashion school, and I have another friend who's finishing her master's at one of the U.S., um, the University of California schools. And both of those institutions have told them, like, use it as your starting point, cite it as that you used it. But don't like let it be your end all be all in terms of like asking it a question, copying and pasting over to a document. Because I think generally as time progresses, people are going to become generally lazier. They're not going to be able to think for themselves. I mean, even when we see when I see some people post um, certain things on LinkedIn or Twitter, I'm like, OK, that's ChatGPT. Oh, that replies ChatGPT. Like that's not them. And there's tools and third party platforms where you can plug it into your computer and so forth. And smart consumers such as myself can see through the BS. So I think it's just, again, becoming aware of like who, like becoming aware that this is now the everyday norm and getting ahead of it because even companies like marketing companies and agencies are having like their, their account managers or their um, employees put out work push out work to their clients that is literally just copy and paste from chat gpt and then people are like putting it into a chat gpt um feed to only tell them that this is 100 percent chat gpt so it's just crazy because like like most people aren't even thinking about this but like i have to because we have to represent zeitgeist in the best way and most ethical way possible so yeah yeah i think that's a really great point and you know, understanding who owns content. We are still at that point, you know, like you said, where we can kind of tell, I think, what is or isn't AI. But as we move ahead, I don't know if that line is going to be as easy to define. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you've got Jeffrey Hinton, I think I'm pronouncing it properly, who left Google now and is warning us all of the, of what's, what's to come. Um, just curious. I mean, I, obviously, I think we're both optimists in this, but do you ever think uh, this is scary technology do you ever think um about like agi and i don't know like are we going to get replaced <laughs> just as people by these technologies i mean all the time but i try not to be i try not to sway in the on the negative side of things because i truly want to be an optimist especially given like we as professionals are at the forefront of this and if we scare people away from it and we again put the keys in the wrong people's hands, then of course negative things are gonna come out of it. But through these new advanced technologies, we're seeing people save time. We're seeing money being, also money being saved on the consumer side. We're seeing different enterprises and possibilities being built from the ground up through um, enterprise solutions. And that's just like 
again, like a drop in the bucket, which is like the mind blowing part of it. And Mm -hmm. although yes, there are a lot of legitimate concerns that come down to like cybersecurity or like getting access to additional um, third party countries, you know, softwares or even AGI, as you mentioned, like what we can control is now and what we can control is um, seamlessly integrating compliance standards that are crucially update themselves um, as emerging laws and things happen in real time. So I think with platforms and software integrations like that, we we should see that. But again, I don't have a looking glass in the future. And just as much as any other entrepreneur, like it is definitely concerning. <laughs> <laughs> And not just as an entrepreneur, anyone. But I, yeah, I kind of agree, though. I mean, the, it's like the potential is so huge. And, and we didn't even talk about like medicine and the implications of being able to cure illnesses and the, the creative mechanisms at play. Um, but yeah, there's something extraordinary. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend developing something that is actually would surpass us intellectually. I think we always feel like we're in control. So it's definitely new terrain in an, in an extraordinary way. And uh, I think... Most people don't see it fully just yet, but I think, you know, a few of us who have looked it up close. I mean, like I said, I was at my old job and I saw like 95% of it switched into AI and I knew, okay, this is something you've got to go all in on and pursue in some form. I don't know what form yet, Um, but that gets me to a point uh, that I'm curious to ask you about because I I saw you post on LinkedIn. I think it's so inspiring. You're talking about, you know, you yourself leaving the corporate world becoming an entrepreneur, taking that first leap. That's kind of where I'm at with this uh, podcast, with my uh, you know exploration of these uh, various fields. Um, what kind of advice do you give people when they want to go it, you know, go it on their own? It's a, it's a big thing. It's a little scary. Yeah. So to be honest, the first thing I always tell all my friends, anyone I come across or just people I meet on the internet when they, you know, take a, take a leap into the deep end is it takes a lot of courage. Um, and not a lot of people initially see that, but if you walk away and you have the ability to say, I left because I am hoping to try something bigger and better on my own, like you're already like honestly 10 steps ahead because, um, the path less traveled makes all the difference. And that though that line has stuck with me through the last four years, anytime I like a week feels slow or, you know, there's harder periods of time because any business, whether you know it or not, goes through, goes through the, the ups and downs. Like we always, always, always experience this. And regardless of it, being able to be autonomous, being able to say no, being able to think on your own and think rationally and outsource when you know you don't have like you personally don't have the toolkit for success. Like that's when I think entrepreneurs can be successful because operating at a place of empathy and also knowing that like, for example, um, crunching numbers is not my strength, but that's why I outsource it to various people. And I have a great team of team who work alongside me to make that happen. That's when, you know, um, you've built a really good team and foundation. So did you have a lot of those early nights when you were beginning zeitgeist? Like, <laughs> like, is this thing going to work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the beginning, I quit a job 
I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. I got Fiverr Pro status, which fortunately allowed me to gain a lot of access to social media clients of all different industries. And that's where my first social media client arrived, which was Creatures, as mentioned, the first NFT right, project on right. Solana. And I got to say yes and no to a bunch of different clients of all different ranges and um, sizes because it helped me learn and realize what I didn't like and also helped me elevate what I did like. Um, and I think for that reason specifically, like, yes, there were 12 hour days. Yes, I didn't have weekends for a few months. Yes, I was falling on my face. But like, at the end of the day, every month I was getting better and smarter and faster. And each hire that I brought on was helping me advance a skill set that I personally didn't have time for, or I knew I just knew someone could do it better. And that helped me scale far and wide. So... And how much of the early days, you know, everyone talks about this concept of, and it's very romantic when you talk about, you know, hey, I'm going to start a company, I'm going to build something. But how much of it when you really get into the nuts and bolts of it is just doing work you don't want to do, but you know you have to do to get this thing off the ground? And how much of it is out of the gate getting to pursue your passion? Or at least in your experience, how much of that, of that balance was there? I mean, I would say in the beginning for the first year, oh, like we're still we're still working out some kinks like the website, our website, like I want to add a bunch of different pages to the website and I want to do this, this Looks and this. Good. But... I like the website. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, but it's a work in progress. Um, but I would say in the beginning, you have to combine the execution part portion. You have to handle the BD portion. You have to handle the um, logistical portion of making sure your business is operable and you're getting paid and you're like making sure you're doing your taxes on a monthly basis and so forth. So I would say, anywhere between, you know, 30 and 50% of your time in the beginning. Um, and then it obviously dwindles down as you figure out things. But again, that's where it's learning to let go and learning what you can't, like accepting what you can't control and amplifying your skill sets and time with what you can control. So it's a great point. And I, I know you're very ambitious with Zeitgeist. I know you're growing very quickly and taking on bigger and bigger projects and clients. Uh, where do you see where do you see the company going? Where what what kind of areas are you most excited about and what do you want to build in the coming uh, months, years? Yeah. So, I mean, originally we tried to be the everything agency. Um, Zeitgeist actually was a, a social media agency to begin with. And then we just kind of dabbled with a bunch of different things. And then more recently have dwindled it back down to um, core offerings of Web3 gaming and entertainment, because honestly, from a mass consumer perspective, we truly believe the innovation and uh, mass adoption is going to happen from those two sectors and digital, well, for me specifically, digital identity. Um, but I would say the future of Zeitgeist, like we are hoping and we are planning to be the best strate Web3 strategy agency in the in the space. And all, like I said, although we are boutique, like we, we mean what we say, we operate with radical transparency. All of our clients, I mean, not to humbly brag, like all of our clients say really great things about us because like we are very much involved in every step of the process and every day of the process. And we want to be able to have that control, which other sought after bigger agencies that are, you know, five times our size can't necessarily say because, you know, the larger you go, the less control you have. And we really pride ourselves in doing that and really like sticking to our guns, outperform over under under promising and over delivering versus the other way around. So 
Well, something I also noticed too, and I think it's an advantage as you're growing is that, and, and it's something, it's a testament to the way you're pursuing this specifically. It seems like you're very willing to be direct and say what, uh, what the circumstances are. I think there's a lot I've noticed in the marketing world where it's very opaque and there's all these kind of cloaks and, and no one wants to reveal the secret sauce, obviously, but at the same time, there is an educational component to effective marketing, it seems. Yeah, no, there absolutely is. And it really just comes down to leading with your values first. And that's where Victoria and I have really just made sure and where that's where Victoria and I have held each other accountable. Um, just because, you know, we want to be the best leaders possible. We want to be the best strategic partners possible. We want to be the best client partners possible. And um, that com boils down to just, again, leading with empathy and um, really taking every day as it comes um, with just a good moral compass. So love it. And I guess as we wrap up, uh, I mean, I think we know zeitgeist.com, but how can uh, people get started? And then, of course, uh, just curious if you have any if there's like one takeaway for people as they as they leave this conversation that you would maybe emphasize. Yeah. So if you'd like to get in contact with me um, on LinkedIn, I go by Lena Grunhofer. Um, other than that, um, on Twitter and Blue Sky, I go by NFT Queen with two threes in the Queen instead of ease. All lucky um, on Blue Sky already. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, if you want to check out Zeitgeist, we're zeitgeist.com with the three is the second E. Um, and then in terms of key takeaways, I would definitely say like, it's never too late to jump in the deep end of AI or Web3. There's a place for everyone. And it's really what you make of it. Just be careful of what you input. So thanks so much, Alina. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Thanks so much for Appreciate having it. me. Thanks.